Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips from RelationshipGPSProject.com. So the question is, how are people like us, who didn't grow up being taught how to have an authentic relationship or have any great relationship role models, who are facing the usual challenges and stresses of work and life, how do we get over breakups, get into authentic relationships and maintain love and connection with all of the challenges of the modern world without losing our identity or sanity? That is the question and my quest is to give you the answers. So today's podcast is going to be really helpful for a lot of couples, I think. In it, I was had a conversation with Nick Elkins. Now, Nick's a financial coach, and he helps families and couples get on the same page financially so that they can build a sound financial future together. Here's our chat. So the first thing that I'm really interested in, I'm interested in, in finding out, you know, what you teach, your whole philosophy and stuff like that. But what I'm most interested in to start with is... Where's your journey come in now? Where did it start and sure, what led you to this? Yeah, so my, my journey with personal finances has, has more or less been one where I hit every branch on the tree on the way down. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was a painful fall, I will say. Um, I mean, as far back as a, being a teenager and moving in with my mom's boyfriend and him using credit cards for everything. And so I saw behavior at that point that meant spending a lot was the equivalent of status and status was important. Hmm. And, you know, using student loans to pay for college, even though, or pay for a lifestyle, even though I had a full scholarship to pay for tuition and my dad was paying for my, my apartment. So, you know, things like that, um, joining a fraternity and putting the fraternity dues on student loans and then, you know, racking up credit cards. And I mean, at at one point we even bought a home that we shouldn't have bought. And we bought it at a time where, you know, we thought the real estate market was at the bottom. It wasn't. So, you know, the the house we bought, we bought for 205,000 and a year before the same model sold for 257,000. And two years after we bought, the house was worth 145. A huge dip, right? And yeah. so, I mean, every financial mistake, and you know, you can't predict the market. So I, that particular one, the only way I could have avoided that was not buying the house in the first place, which, you know, hindsight is, is 2020, as they say. Um, but, but for me, pretty much, pretty much everything that we did before a few years ago um, I can look back on and I can say, well, I can either call this a mistake or I can call it a learning opportunity. And because I've made so many financial mistakes and had to learn to fight my way out of them, and because my wife and I both have backgrounds in education, in adult education, I just saw this perfect opportunity to be able to articulate how we got out of the hole that we dug ourselves into to others. And I absolutely love seeing that light bulb come on. I like seeing people smile about finances when it's plagued them their entire lives. Mm -hmm. I like hearing um, 
a husband and wife who have never been on the same page about finances send me a video message that they just sat down and talked about everywhere they wanted to visit in the next 10 years and pay for all of those trips in cash. And they never thought that something like that was going to even be possible, let alone actually paying for the trips. And, and so for me, it's, it's one of those opportunities where our, our greatest failures lead to some of our greatest strengths. And, you know, I, I, I look at it and I say, Michael Jordan had basketball come to him very, very easily. And because of that, he had a hard time as a coach because he wasn't able to articulate how he did things really well to the people who needed that articulation. But then you look at somebody who wasn't necessarily a star player that had that innate talent. They had to fight for their place in whatever league they were playing in. They had to, they had to learn a lot and they had to, um, to really understand the mechanics of the game and the way that everything works. And because they took all that time to learn and because they made mistakes and fought through those mistakes, they're able to make others around them better. So for me, this was, this was just a beautiful opportunity for me to say, you know what? I can actually use all of those mistakes that we made for good. Now that's, um, and I can imagine your work is life changing because, because it is, it, it, money and relationships are the two areas that just grip people. Like they have just have so much fear and they just, they're not, they, it, it's one of the areas that, um, you know, like it's often said people would rather talk about sex than talk about finances. And there is so much of needing to live up to the Joneses and, and then not knowing how to pay for that. Um, so was your, um, like, did you study finance or economics in, in college? I, I did study finance. Um, little known fact, though, before probably four or five years ago, most degrees in finance in the U.S. Uh, were corporate finance degrees. And so although my bachelor's degree is in, it says it's in finance, it's in corporate finance. So it's, it's, you know, the different financial statement line items and learning how to leverage and talking about debt and equity. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's not as much the personal finances. And what's interesting is I, I always wanted, I knew from a very early time that I wanted to help people with their money. And, and so it's, it's funny that my first job out of college was what I thought was going to be a financial advising role. It ended up being selling whole life insurance in 2008, which is a really bad time to sell whole life insurance. And I decided I needed to, I needed to leave that industry altogether because my interpretation was that everyone was just looking out for themselves, that they weren't trying to help people. I didn't know that there was actually an industry called financial coaching. And, and frankly, there are, there are mentors of mine who've been doing this for 10 plus years. I didn't even know that existed before about a year or two ago. You know, I, I, I started helping people with their finances a couple of years ago. Um, and just, I, I guess, about, well, uh, in May 2018, somebody that I had been helping for a while, um, we, we calculated that I had saved him over $15,000 in the year prior by wow. paying down debt and getting rid of the interest and refinancing things and, and getting rid of a car that he had no business driving. Um, we saved him $15,000 and he looked at me one day and said, how can I repay you? And that moment was a life-changing moment for me because I realized at that time 
that I could, I could earn a living helping other people figure out how to, you know, earn a yeah. living, protect their living. The, the, the story of your turnaround, when did that, were you already in a family? Were you a couple or were you still single when you, you figured things out for yourself? No, honestly, I, to be honest, I felt like I had everything figured out. Um, and for a long time, I was chasing what my now wife, then girlfriend, thought was the right thing with finances because she was never taught any better. And for a long time, I pointed my finger at, you know, she, she didn't know what she was doing, but I didn't have a backbone to say no. So I was going to do it anyway and try to make her happy and be the, you know, the quote unquote nice guy and give her what she wants. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because about five years ago, uh, a mentor looked at me and was like, you know, this is as much fault or your fault as it is hers. And it just kind of, it, it knocked me out of my chair because at that time I, I thought I had it all figured out. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I didn't, I didn't go to uh, have somebody help us with our finances because I needed help. It was because yes. she needed help. And, and it's amazing the, the work that we did together and learning to get on the same page. Because frankly, the, the fact that we were struggling in finances, when I look back, it was more my fault than her fault. I thought that I needed to provide the solutions to the things that she was asking for. And in hindsight, what I needed to do was either say, say we can't do that, or we need to figure out how to do that, not just I'm gonna go make it happen, regardless of the consequences. Hmm. And that's what I did. And so when I finally, it's, it's funny, our, our turnaround had nothing really to do with financial knowledge because it was inside my brain all along. The, the turnaround was, was frankly this, this journey of going from codependency and me needing to appease her and make her happy to more of an interdependency where we realized that the only person who could truly make ourselves happy was ourselves. And when we did that, when, when we got to that point, I felt more comfortable in my own convictions with finances and in my, in the status of my relationship that I didn't have to chase after all kinds of, of frivolous things anymore just to win her approval because I knew that she was happy with me because of me, not because of the things that I was buying her. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's so huge that um, there's a whole industry, whole media advertising industry, which is built on kind of shaming people. Like if, and, and it's like, I don't know if you know, like where in, in, uh, diamonds became engagement, engagement rings, the whole kind of story behind that which was just basically um, teaching young girls that if your fiance pre um, proposes to you without an engagement ring, he doesn't really love you. He and, it's, and, and there is so much of this um, pressure, both on girls that, that their partner has to, that they don't care enough or they're not good enough if they're not providing this, you know, this whole, you know, because you're worth it. So really it's, it's kind of unpicking the the myths and the lies that we're culturally told but we're told for someone else's advantage that is uh that's probably the single most difficult thing to untangle or dig out of 
um, in all of this, because mm -hmm. frankly, winning with personal finance is not about knowledge. It's more about behavior. And something like 80% of personal finance is behavior. Because and of whether, the financial habits that you have. Exactly, exactly. And so the, the keeping up with the Joneses, I mean, it starts really early. I have, I have three kids. They're seven, five, and three. And, and when my oldest was in kindergarten last year, he noticed when the kids were wearing clothes that had stains on them versus when kids were wearing brand new things. And he would notice when, you know, this person's dad was driving a self-driving car because I guess all the kids talked about Tesla at that point. And, and you know, this kid's dad drives a car that's more expensive than that kid's house. Yeah. And, and I mean, when they're five and six years old and they're noticing status symbols and using them as measuring sticks to compare someone's worth, imagine what happens then when people start tying their own self-worth into their ability to provide to earn those status symbols and then that that kind of that rat race of forever chasing a status symbol to get something to impress people that you don't like in the first place yeah or or you know i mean the 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 person who buys a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar house with three guest rooms and has someone over to their house twice a year yeah for that, save all the money and pay for their hotel room when they come to visit. <laughs> you're you're going to come out hundreds of thousands of dollars ahead over the 30 years. It is. It's, it's, so I always talk about, so there's truth, like the facts, what happens. And then there's the story that we make of it, which is how we make sense of life. And we we buy things on these you know like you say for to impress people or we buy it because we think oh we need it for for someone to come over like i i remember when my dad used to be buying cars and he'd be he'd be oh you need a big car that you can get down the dump and go, you can only go down the dump once a year or twice a year why are you buying a car for that um but it is we have these pe people just pick up on these on these things so so I wonder if you could go in a little bit more detail if it's okay um, of about how you and how you and your wife, how did you cut, like, how did you, so, you know, you, you talked about being in that codependent relationship, but how did you actually um, bring the subject up? How did you then deal with it and, and how did it go? Yeah, I will say um, every person that I know who has made a drastic change in their life, whether it be in their faith or their family or their finances or their fitness, every person that I know who makes that drastic change is making it because there was some drastic event in their life that caused them to have to step outside of themselves to be able to look at where they were and say, that's not where I want to be. Mm -hmm. the, the concept of inertia, an object in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. Um, for me, what, what got us into, uh, or what got us out of that kind of codependency was, was frankly, it was one of the best things that ever happened in my life and one of the most painful things. I jumped a fence in our backyard to grab a football for my five-year-old, and when I landed, I shattered my leg in 17 places. 
And I spent the next four months unable to put weight on my leg. And when you have three kids and you're a pretty good partner and provider at home, now all of a sudden my wife goes from co or, or working together to parent three children to all of a sudden having to raise essentially four children on her own because she was having to take care of me at the same time. Mm. And when, when that happened, I think she all of a sudden realized that she, it, it was, it was difficult and it was really painful, but at the end of the day, she could do it. And because she could do it, it gave her more confidence in herself. And when she started getting that more confidence in her own abilities to handle everything, what made her real or what, what happened for her was she realized that she didn't need me anymore, but she still wanted me around. And, and the day that she told me that she, she paused for dramatic effect a lot longer than I just did when she said, I don't need you anymore. And um, I'll be honest, I, my, I have a very fast imagination and in the, the maybe two or three seconds she paused, I'm pretty sure I watched our entire relationship flash before my eyes. And then she said that, and I mean, I could feel the, the rush of blood come up into my head and my face and my ting my fingers started tingling. And over the next couple of weeks, I kind of sat with that. And I'm, I'm typically the type of person who reacts very quickly. And, and I, I process things mentally by speaking. So I don't think them through all the way before it comes out of my mouth. And I, I, I recognized that just the way that she paused for dramatic effect, I recognized that as a pivotal moment in our relationship. And she had obviously had time to process this and think about it before she delivered it to me. And I knew that I needed to sit with it and figure out what that meant to me before responding to her. And, and what happened was I realized that now all of a sudden when I could do things for her or for the kids with my broken leg, it was because I wanted to do them for her, not because I thought she had an expectation that they needed to be done. And so very quickly, our, our relationship changed to, you know, people, people looking to help each other and supplement each other and, and people looking to be intentional about, you know, kind of what we identified as our core values. And it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, every now and then we still kind of look at each other and just kind of chuckle that we, it's almost like having one of those secrets where like, you know that you and somebody else know something that people around you don't know. And, and you just kind of, you kind of wink at the other person and smile and you keep moving. And it's, it's, it, it was, it's pretty cool. Hmm. Sorry. I'm having a hard time articulating that. You can tell. I'm yeah. No, no, I can, I can imagine. I can, I can, I can see. It's like you say, people, people don't, you know, people get into ruts in relationships and they, carry on the way they're going and that kind of 
from what I can see from you, that, that, that you're the type of person that picks up on early warning signs. And if you'd have missed the subtlety in why she was saying that, kept on, but the relationships are all about dynamics. If one person changes and the dynamics of the relationship don't update to that, then the relationship no longer serves them both. And so you recognize that and you were able, because while you were telling that story, what I was seeing was it was kind of like sliding doors where it could have been like that and then it could have been like that. And I'm imagining how different your relationship could have been. And, and when you look at the finances, and, and which are just really, like you say, a symbol for the underlying dynamic. So really, then you've got, so you've got the whole advertising media where it plays into the, the kind of the role that the man sees that he has to make his wife happy. And I can imagine being in finance yourself that you, you could could have got into this situation being in debt and thinking well you know i'm i'm a, i don't need to go to someone i'm, I'm a finance expert um you know what why am i not doing it and it, it's the same thing that people do people know that they don't eat the chocolate you know and and be in shape but you still do it yeah and the same thing with the finances so yeah i i can i can i can see how that would be and i can see you know for you that it's obviously a significant event and it's it's one of the and it, this is kind of what my work is is that i normally see people like a, a breakup when or when they're one's fed up of the marriage and want to be out or um when then they're no longer happy being single or something what i always try and get is people to to be more sensitive and be more aware and take notice of those points because then you can pivot and, and change without having uh, so much negativity around it it's true yeah, I would I would say that it is not a skill that I have always been good at and it's not a skill that I am always good at is noticing those subtleties and noticing mm. the those those inflection points. Um and I would say when I do pick up on them, it's definitely for the better. And and I'm I'm constantly working to, you know, to be able to notice when stuff like that is happening or when conversations can be had. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's, it takes practice. It doesn't, it's, it's not, I mean, it's a learned skill, right? It's not something that you're either born with or you're not, you, you know, you might be raised by parents who are very good at that. And so you might inherently be very good at it. Um, but for, for people who aren't good at that, it is something that you can learn. If you set the intention to learn it and then take action on actually doing it, it can absolutely change your life. Yeah, that's so true. I, there's so much of relationships, finance, all these kind of things are all learned, but people think, oh, I'm just not good at that. I'm just not good at relationships. I'm just not good at money. So if someone's in this situation, someone's listening and like I, I, I can remember when I was 20, I opened up a gym. I was just full of, arrogance and it didn't matter just give me a business and I'll, I'll turn it around and all I wanted was money and building a big business six months later I'd taken in a partner um that hadn't gone well the, the gym hadn't gone well as well as I thought and I'd, and I'd done everything and you know like when you're trying to market and you can't even afford a stamp and you're trying <laughs> and, you're, and you're balancing you know like you set up without you just oh yeah I borrowed the money I borrowed the money so it was kind of like that and six months later I was 60 grand in debt I, um, and I, I was just sick, ill. And I remember all the time people phoning up, you like, 
you've got this bill, you've got this bill. And I'm like, oh, who's going to come in now? Who's going to... And I, even to the point where the bailiffs came in and, and listed everything. And I, I just remember how, how it is to live with that kind of stress. It's like you, you don't have any kind of peace of mind. So I can imagine, you know, I was 20 and it, was, it, was, it wasn't my home. Well, it was for a while. I was homeless for a while. But, you know, for someone that can imagine their whole house being taken away, their family being ripped apart, um, it must be terrifying. Yeah. And it's kind of the emotions that you, is that the kind of situation that you see people in or, or is it? I, I, I will be honest. Um, I personally do not, I, I don't work with families that are in that position because I feel like there are people who are more uniquely qualified to help with the, the dire and urgent situations mm-hmm. than, than I am. I would consider myself more of the preventative medicine as opposed to the emergency room. Um, and so my, the, the, the families that I work with are typically families who feel like they make pretty good money. And then at the end of the month, they're sitting there and they're wondering if they're going to have enough money to pay the bills at the end of the month. Um, or, or they look, you know, one spouse looks at the other spouse and says, we make so much money. Where does it all go? That, those are the types of families that I'm most used to working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the ones that I've found the conversations I'm most equipped to handle and help. Um, I would say that there are a ton of resources out there for families that are in the situation that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if, you know, if any of your listeners are looking for somebody who can direct them to places like that, I'd be happy to, to help with that. Um, but I would, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I am not the person that would be able to help them with that. And, mm-hmm. and I think I would be doing them a disservice by trying to. Okay. <clears throat> Um, so I, uh, I mean, there are, there are a lot of couples, you know, you hear of who, who make, you would think huge amounts, it should be so comfortable. And yet, you know, like, you know, I've heard of people with like hundred grand overdrafts, um, like, just hundred grand overdraft. Yeah. I, I have heard of people, um, you know that you would look at them and you'd say you know they're both successful people earning right huge sums but 100 grand overdraft but um okay so what's what's the first thing you you would do so people recognize that yeah um i mean the first thing that we would do is kind of assess the situation we'd we'd figure out where we are actually at Um, and, and for a lot of my clients, I, I actually find that just putting a label on where we're at helps them gain some peace of mind. So they're, they're trapped in their emotions about the situation. They're trapped in, you know, the anxiety or the frustration or the hopelessness and not necessarily looking at the situation from a 30,000 foot view where they can see everything clearly. And my belief is that most money problems, probably 90% of money problems come from lack of clarity. They, they come from not having a perfect understanding of where your money is going or where, how the money is coming in or 
having the clarity of mind of what's important to me and how am I putting my money towards those things versus paying for something that's not important to me. And so that, that clarity, I, I kind of, I look at that clarity and I say, all right, let's, let's get a clear picture of where you are now. So let's look at, you know, your expenses over the last three months. Let's look at what debts do you have? What assets do you have? What is your income? Um, let's get clear on, you know, your, your cash flow situation. What money do you have coming in? What money do you have going out? And then let's talk about your goals. And, and it's, I mean, I used the analogy earlier about preventative medicine versus the ER. Um, if you were to go to a physician for your annual physical, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to, they're going to take your height and your weight and your blood pressure and your temperature. And they're going to do probably a blood panel and they're, they're going to ask you a lot of questions. When I start working with a new client, I feel like it's, it's important to get that holistic picture to be able to give quality instruction and education for their situation. Because if, if they just came to me with a specific problem and I answered the question for the specific problem, we could be completely missing an underlying problem. I could be treating the symptom instead of the problem. And, and so, you know, I've, I've had, for example, a client come to me and say, Hey, you know, I've, I've had this job where I've been earning $150,000 a year. My wife is a teacher. Uh, I travel three weeks out of the month and I'd like to stay at home more. And I have this job offer that makes me $80,000 a year. That's a $70,000 a year pay cut. Our budget is there. Uh, we can make it work, but I have a bunch of debt and I think I'd like to cash out some investments that I have outside of my retirement assets to pay for this debt so that we can live this lifestyle. If I were to address that question in a vacuum, then I could completely miss a more pressing issue or a larger problem that they don't even realize they have. And so when when we had this conversation, what uh, what we realized is the family's health insurance was through his employer and the new employer wasn't offering health insurance. And one of his children was really sick. And if he had left that role, it would have caused his family to be completely bankrupt. And so instead he went and he spoke with his company and he took a similar role inside his company, making $85,000 a year with the same level of insurance. And, and it's all about, for me, it's, it's understanding the complete lay of the land and not just answering to one particular situation. And it's, it's I mean, it's really difficult when, when you're so ingrained in your own personal situation, you start to listen to the story you're telling yourself. You start to listen to, you know, this is why we're at where we're at. This is, you know, this is where we are. And I'm guilty of it too. That's why I invest in my own personal coaching because I need somebody to point out the things that are in blind spots for me, for, for myself. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, the, the very first step is getting clear where you're at. The second step is getting clear of where you want to go. And then we put a map in place to get you from point A to point B. And then there's consistent check-ins and education along the way to accelerate that process. Where I see problems, and, and I'm wondering if this, if, if you notice this, is money really is just 
it's like you say, it's a symbol. It, it's, it's, it can mean status, it can mean security. Um, but sometimes people have, like couples will have a different value to money. So one might be, um, you know, money is freedom, money, you, you look after it and it brings you security and you, and you, you don't spend money. Whereas other people sometimes grow up and, and it's like money is to have great experiences money is to to show people you know how you care and so those kind of things do you is that difficult to get a couple like that where finances mean very different things on the same page it's definitely not easy (laughs) um if if a couple comes in with completely different backgrounds and different viewpoints of of what money means and then you compound on top of that possibly five, 10, 15 years worth of relationship history and baggage, whether it's outside relationships or their relationship that, that you're talking about, it's, there's a lot to undo before you can, you can really get going. For, for me, that's, that's kind of um, the analogy I, I typically use is, are, are you familiar with the, the term three-legged race? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and for anybody listening, the three-legged races, uh, it's one of those things that they do at camps uh, where, you know, there's two people standing side by side and you tie one person's right leg to the other person's left leg. For me, the, I mean, marriage in general, but especially the marriage finances is like a three-legged race. And the three-legged race, in order to be successful, it requires consistent communication. It requires a plan and a strategy, and it requires a vision for where you're headed. Because if one spouse is looking off over there at 10 o'clock and another spouse is looking off over there at two o'clock, and this spouse is moving their left foot while this spouse is moving their left foot, you're going to continuously fall. And I see it over and over again. It's that three-legged race where that couple just keeps falling because they're not even clear on where the, the finish line is. That's even true to some extent of, of couples who've been, who, who are really good at communicating. I don't believe that you can simultaneously attack more than one goal. The husband might have one goal and the wife might have a different goal. I wouldn't recommend splitting your discretionary money and going after both of them at the same time. I I mean, more times than not, you put it into a calculator. If you put all of the discretionary money you have towards one of the goals, and it doesn't matter which one you do first, and then all of the discretionary money towards the other, by doing it that way, you're going to get to those goals a lot faster than you would if you split and did half and half. And and so for me, getting really clear on where you want to go even if you're going from A to B and then C and then D, you know, we're not, we're not just getting to a finish line. And that's, that's one of the other things is most people see debt freedom as a finish line. And really it's just the starting point. There, there isn't this pre-debt life and post-debt life. You know, if anything, it's actually more difficult once you get to debt freedom, because now there's all of these different choices of what do I do with my money? Whereas when you're, when you're really drowning in debt and you, you finally come to terms with the fact that the debt is the enemy and you need to get out of debt, you can take this dogmatic approach and myopic focus on the debt and you can attack it with everything you've got. So yeah, I mean, for me, it all comes back to what are our core values and what, are our goals. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Um, 
Well, yeah, it's usually that people aren't aware of what their values are, and so they just, it's just what I do, it's just because they assume, you know, they talk about it on a surface level, and they go, yeah, yeah, we're on the same page, we're, we're there, and then the behavior is entirely different. So what are um, some of the other common problems that you see? So the most common problems that I see, I mean, obviously the 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 spousal arguments, you know, that's for me, that's, that's one of the big symptoms to the, the problem. Um, you see, you know, people getting out of debt and then just going back into debt or, you know, inability to save over a long term, or, you know, we, we can't seem to pay our bills on time. And, and again, that for me, that all comes back to clarity. It all comes back to having a plan and then working the plan. And communication is a really easy thing to do when you understand that you're supposed to communicate and both sides understand the rules for engagement. So getting really clear about the way that you're going to operate as a couple when it comes to your finances specifically is really, really helpful. And, and, you know, like, like, for example, my wife and I know, you know, we, we typically don't argue about money anymore just because we have this plan in place, but we know that if one of us is frustrated about money, we need to have that conversation when the kids aren't around and we need to have that conversation far in advance of going to bed or going to work. Because if, if one of us has heightened emotions around money, or you know, or really anything else, right when we're about to go to bed, then it's either going to cause resentment or it's going to cause a, a difficult night's sleep or, or both. And so it's, I mean, it's difficult sometimes, especially with three children, to find time to have conversations that could feel weighty. But that's the time when, you know, if you're in the, jaw, uh, the, the car with your spouse, you put the music on and fade it to the back and you hold your spouse's hand and you talk about it and you talk about the way that it makes you feel, not about what they did. And you talk about facts, not necessarily opinions. You know, we overspent by $40 on this category. We need to find a different category in our budget to pull money from to cover this overspending, not you overspent by $40, you know, now we can't afford this bill. Asking, asking leading questions and asking for someone else's opinion is a lot better than attacking them with your own opinion. Yeah. Once, once couples have made a plan, um, and do you find that they normally stick to it or, or is there difficulty there? <laughs> There's always difficulty, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, even even us, you know, we've we've been doing this for a long time. There's there's still shiny objects that catch our eyes. There's still vacations that you know family members bring up and say, you know, we're all going together. Would you like to come? Well, I mean, it's in three weeks, and we're saving for this other vacation in five weeks, and we don't have childcare. No, we we can't do it. But it, it can cause some stress when we look at each other and and say, oh man, that would be that would be wonderful, right? No, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, there's, to me, there's no point in shooting for perfection. And, and that is coming from a recovering perfectionist. Um, and I, I say recovering because I, I still, when we get off of this podcast interview, I, I will kick myself three different times for things that I said. And, and it's because I always shoot for perfection. So do as I say, not as I do. 
for for me shooting for perfection on a plan is unrealistic you should shoot for consistent excellence and what i mean by that is shoot for that 80 or 85 percent not necessarily the 100 percent try to follow the plan as closely as you possibly can and be willing to forgive yourself when you slip up and then get back on the plan you see this all the time in, in fitness and nutrition. People will get on a diet plan and when they bust the diet on Friday afternoon, they say, oh, well, I, I busted the diet. I might as well, you know, eat that whole pizza and, and six beers on, on, you know, Saturday for lunch and then have tacos on Saturday night and have the cinnamon rolls and bacon for Sunday morning. And I'll get back on my diet on Monday. Yeah. It's so difficult to follow a plan when you do that because you're, you're, you're being so hard on yourself for slipping up. What, what I would say is in that situation, again, just like the nutrition and the fitness, forgive yourself for that one slip up and then get back on your plan. Okay, so we talked earlier about, you know, I, I saw when you told the story about how your relationship kind of changed. What would you, I can imagine some people would say to you um, when you go, oh, but it's so much work and then where's the fun in that? Like, you know, life's for living and, you know, I'll save when I'm old. What would you say to someone like that about how different your life is than how it could have been and how different their life could be? I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. When my wife was a stay-at-home mom for our second and third children being born, um, she stayed at home for about four years and I had a full-time job, uh, but I also did some contracting, some freelancing on the side. And between the two jobs, I brought in enough money to cover all of our expenses. Um, but I was, I was covering way more than just our expenses. We actually allowed ourselves to, uh, to, to experience what's called lifestyle inflation. So we had a lot more money coming in than we were used to. And we allowed our expenses uh, to, to fill that bowl, if you will. It's, it's, uh, it's called Parkinson's Law. It's just like meetings. You know, if you make an hour-long meeting that could be 25 minutes, you're going to find a way to take that hour. Yeah. Right? So, so for us, our expenses um, filled up all of the income that we had coming in. And because of that, I'm now, you know, uh, my wife will be 32 here in a couple of weeks and I'll be 32 in August. Um, and we have very little saved for retirement and, and we're still in the process of paying down some debt that we racked up earlier in our, in our lives. And if we had continued down that path, then I can tell you, we, we probably would have ended up yeah, I mean, I could look, you know, 40, 50 years out and say we'd be, we'd be the 80 year olds who are continuing to work because we don't have any other option. Um, we can look 30 years out and say that when our parents get to a point where they're aging and need someone to take care of them, we don't have the time or we don't have the money to be able to do it because we're having to work to pay off our own bills. And if I, if I look, you know, 15 to 20 years out, um, I, I could say that we would have had no way to contribute to our children's education and we would have had no way to contribute to their weddings. And, and for me, what, what we slowly realized is that using all of the money that we had for things that weren't really the things that were important to us was robbing our ability to pay for the things that were important to us in the future. 
And, and so for, for both of us realizing that family was number one, connectedness with our family was number one on our core values for both of us made us realize that, you know, being able to take a day off to, to chaperone one of my kids field trips to the zoo last month, I never would have been able to do that if I was working two jobs. So how do I afford to be able to do that? Well, we cut some of our expenses. We, we learn where to cut things so that we don't need as much money. And it's, it's funny. I, I mean, I, I still make good money in my, my day job um, and I'm building this financial coaching business, but I make considerably less than I did those four years where I was working two jobs essentially. And yet we're saving thousands of dollars a month between what's going towards a down payment for our next home and what's going towards paying off our debt. And so I, I look at that and I say, it was, it was just a matter of clarifying what our priorities are and then following through on the plan to get us to those priorities. I think, that, I think you've put it in a very powerful way um, because ultimately um, what I'm hearing from you is that is the difference between living by your values and making your life. Um, so I said at the beginning, I think this, this, the, the big two problems, I think there's three challenges we all have. The first one is to, to be able to survive economically. Um, the second one is to belong. And the third one is to matter. And I think um, when you've got the, the finances in, in line in the way that you've said, and you've got your relationship in line, then what you're really doing is um, making your life stand for what you, what really values to you. And that's really the difference. Um, when you're able to show people in that way, you're, instead of them fritching money away on things that they have to sell at a boot sale or something next year, you're really covering that. So it's not really costing the people that you're working with anything. It's just their time and attention, I suppose. So that, that leads me to, to wonder, what would you say is the biggest thing that stops families or couples from, from going through this process? So there, there are quite a few things. Um, one of them is awareness that there's a problem at all. You know, I, we, we started the interview talking about um, how our, our culture and society has, has almost brainwashed us into believing that we need to spend money and spend time on things that ultimately don't really matter. We've also, I believe, been brainwashed into believing that that's normal. And, and so we get to this point where we don't even question what we're doing because that's the way that it always was. And, and so, you know, when you're spending $600 a month on a vehicle, that's what my parents have always done. That's what I've done since I was, you know, 22. Why wouldn't I do that? It's just part of life to have a $600 or more car payment a month. It doesn't have to be. And, and, and so, and that's just one of many examples, but the, the idea of, of just awareness of the problem to begin with. The other big thing for me, are you familiar with the, the concept of drift from Napoleon Hill? 
Drift as in you just drift along with life, is it? Uh, essentially, yeah, essentially. So no, Napoleon Hill wrote the book... Um, Think and Grow Rich, wasn't it? Think and Grow Rich, thank you. Um, he also wrote a book called Outwitting the Devil. And Outwitting the Devil um, was so controversial for the time that um, when he passed away, his family actually kept it in a vault and didn't release it until something like 70 years after his death. And in it, he talked about the concept of drift. And drift is the opposite of intentionality. It's, it's the opposite of being clear about what you want and then taking intentional action and going towards it. And so drift for me is, I mean, it goes hand in hand with what I was saying before about a lack of awareness of where you're at. It's, it's a lack of emotional intelligence about the the point that you're at in your life and and the lack of taking intentional action towards your goals you know i mean for example somebody who works out really really hard for two years and loses 60 pounds and and gets that beach body that they've always wanted and then once they get to that point they shift their focus and go on to something else and slowly, over the next three years, they put on you know, a pound or two a month. They're drifting because they've taken their focus off of the thing that's important to them. Mm-hmm. And so the, the way to get out of drift, the way to be intentional is just to kind of do a personal audit or, or have somebody that you care about or trust do an audit for you and say, you know, here are the five dimensions of my life. You know, there's, there's finances, there's relationship with my spouse, relationship with my kids, there's my career and there's my health. Give me a, give me an audit of where I'm at in each of these five places. And, and I'm going to audit myself. I mean, these corporations worldwide do 360 degree reviews where you review your own performance and then you get performance reviews from those around you. Why aren't we doing that in our personal life to get really clear about how we're actually doing and how other people think we're doing so that we can take that principle and carry it into those different dimensions of our lives and get to where we actually want to be. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so true. That's the kind of thing I I actually do, but uh, you know, with people in relationships, but it is, it's, 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 just knowing where you are um, and then knowing where you want to go, which is exactly the same, really. Um, okay. Uh, I did have a question there. Um, Don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> yeah. I've got my pad and pen, but I, I, would, I would stay like, I had it, I had it, I had it, and then it took it off. Okay. Um, so... Well, there is something that, that that comes to mind while I while I think of the other question. But you you seem a very conscious. Um, you're very bright. Um, you're very dynamic. Um, I have a sense that you're coaching. That there's something more to it. I know you talked about it making a difference in people's life, but you strike me as the kind of person that has more of a message that there's something that you're leading people towards. And I'm just interested, like, I don't know if you, I haven't seen if you have a manifesto or if there is that kind of spirit behind what you're doing. I would definitely say that there's a spirit. Um, It's not articulated. 
Um, if I had to, and now, now this is something that I'm going to do when we get off this call, because I do have very strong beliefs. Um, I would say that one of my deep down, just core beliefs is that anyone can do anything. And, and it's, it's interesting because I look back when my parents were telling me this, you could be anything you want to be when you're a child. And, and I look back and I, I say, you know, that's BS. I, I could never have been, you know, a fighter pilot. I'm blind in my right eye. I couldn't have done that. You know, I could never be an astronaut. Um, and, and frankly, I could never be an accountant or an engineer who's sitting in an office looking at numbers all day. Um, and, and so the, the you're, you can be anything you want to be is really... I think it kind of misses the point, but I think the core belief that if something truly matters to someone and they're willing to put in the work for it, that they can achieve it. I think that's something that I bring to my coaching that um, I don't know everybody, everybody sees very often. I, I have, um, one of one of my very first clients, three sessions in, called me and he was just having a really down day. And at the end of the call, he was ready to run through a brick wall. I mean, he was so pumped up and excited. And and what he said, I mean, honestly, it, I I think I think it's cliche to say it changed my life, but it it gave me a moment of clarity about myself. And he said. I can feel that you're rooting for me. I can feel that you're one of my big fans. And I think that's, that's entirely true because I just inherently believe that there's good in everyone and that anyone can accomplish anything. And so when I meet people and I want to believe in them because it's natural, it just, it kind of comes off in every conversation that we have. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I got that sense. Um, I'll, I'll share. Um, I'll share a book with you um, that I came across the other week, which is about. Um, it's called the free, the, yeah, the free word rebellion, and it's it's basically putting your sense of mission into three words to, to have that kind of base thing. But I found that really um, helpful in in kind of articulating the message. Yeah. So, um, so where, where do you see, um, like, have you looked beyond coaching or is there a, a sense of building on the coaching with, with more? Yeah. Um, so over, over the next year or so, um, I'm, I'm following a process called the 12 week year. Um, oh, yeah. and are you familiar with it? Yeah. Okay. I, 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 it's kind of a book I, I got and sort of thing, but I haven't actually. Okay. It's, it's a fantastic read. If you have the opportunity to read it, it, um, it really helps you become again, intentional and take intentional action on achievable goals. And so it has you accomplish in 12 weeks, what most people barely accomplish in, a, in an entire year. And so I've broken down my year into quarters and uh, next quarter, my plan is to uh, launch a podcast to help take this, um, this message to, 
to more people. Um, mm. This quarter is all about building up the community. So my, my community coaching platform, because I feel like not everybody wants one-on-one -on -one coaching. Not everyone can afford one-on-one -on -one coaching. And there are a lot of people who want to be able to do it, who are willing to do the DIY, the do-it-yourself approach, um, but don't want to have to do it by themselves. And so the, the community is for that. Um, I will say at the beginning of next year, my, my goal is to, um, to do more corporate money coaching. So go into companies to help employees. Um, my, most of my career has been in the talent development and uh, human resources uh, departments within corporations, large corporations. And um, I see that to be an opportunity to help more people because I can be in front of, of more people. Um, but for me, at the end of the day, if, um, if I get to spend a lot of time with my family, and I get to help people and, and, you know, help them overcome these challenges that they've had struggles with themselves for years. I don't need a whole lot more. And, and, you know, I coming from somebody who thought they needed a lot, there's a lot of power in clarifying that simplicity. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true because at the end of the day, it's never about the car you had or, or whatever. It's about the person you were. It's about the way that you lived your life. And it's about the connections and the, the meaningful things you've, you've achieved. So I uh, can imagine on your deathbed, you, you'll, you'll be a contented man. I think you'll be very proud of, I can imagine what you're going to achieve between now and then. I think it will help a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's funny, uh, real quick, you, you said deathbed and that triggered another memory from the book that I mentioned earlier, the outwitting the devil from Napoleon Hill. Uh, with the quote in that book that, that really kind of shook me to my core is uh, the definition of hell is being on your deathbed and meeting the person you could have become. Yeah. And, and that to me, wow. Like, I mentioned having an event that kind of shakes you and, and gets you outside of yourself to look at yourself and say, is this who I want to be? Is this, mm. is this the direction I want to be headed in? That quote, hell is the def or the definition of hell is being on your deathbed and meeting the person that you could have become. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This, this, there are so many people. I don't know if you've ever come across the, the, the top five regrets of the dying. It's a book. Um, and it's uh, a nurse who, who was in, you know, like with people in their last days. Yeah. The, and she detailed the, the top five regrets. Yeah, and that is so sad because there's nothing you can do then. And I was going to say, I'm sure number one is spend more time with my family. It's not, yeah. I wish I had worked more hours or yeah. I wish I had driven more fancy cars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, Yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's, it's getting back to those core values, and and I think that's what you're doing, for people. So I think that's really valuable. Thank you for the time today. It's been really interesting. So someone who is in is struggling financially, um, on and wants to get on, you know, give it attention. Where should they go to find out more about you? Sure. So um, you can find me uh, familyfinancefreedom.com. So my company name is Family Finance Freedom. Um, 
you can find out about my one-on-one -on -one coaching or my community there. And I'm in the process of putting up a bunch of the, the resources that I've created. Um, and, and so by the time people start going there, the resources should be available for you to, to pull down and, and start looking at your own personal finances or your family finances and, uh, you know, figure out what you can do to, to make them better. Okay. Thanks, Nick. That's, that's, that's been great. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob McPhillips, and I'm here to help you navigate your relationships more successfully. Go to relationshipgpsproject.com to find answers to your relationship questions or ask new ones.